a heavy sea fog shrouds the Northumberland coast in an impenetrable blanket of white. A French trawler ship from Boulogne and bound for fishing off Iceland is blown off course in a storm and into the fog. The captain and his crew are about to face a night they will never forget, and some will not survive. Welcome to a special episode of the Voices from the Northeast podcast, The Wreck of the Tadorn. Like it or not, our beautiful coastal land of Northumberland can also be deadly. The sea is a creature of its own, beautiful and vast, but also wild, deadly and unforgiving at times. The North Sea is also full of history, and sometimes, at low tide for example, it reveals some of that history to us, if you know where to look. Occasionally it reveals the carcass of a wrecked ship, perhaps as a reminder to land-living souls who would brave the sea that they do so at their own risk. Now this story tonight is very different for the show. It's a tale that I'm going to share that I wasn't aware of until very, very recently. So earlier this week, I happened to see a photograph that was shared by a walker uh, of something really unusual sticking out of the sea around Craster and very close to Howick. Uh, Robert McKibben uh, was out walking along the coastal path up there when at low tide he saw this large metal square jutting out of the water between the rocks. And it certainly looks strange from the photograph he shared. Um, it's huge, it's rusted, it seems to be covered in vertical and horizontal vents. And he shared the photo and asked if anyone knew what it was. And somebody, it transpires, did, because they replied with the wonderfully enigmatic message, it's from the wreck of the Tadorn, 1913. Well, that begs the question, doesn't it? What happened to the Tadorn? March the 27th, Captain Eugene Fontaine and his crew set sail from Boulogne to fish the rich waters off Iceland. It's a trip that they have made before. The crew of 30 include long-time sailors and fishermen, as well as a young, new-to-the-sea, 16-year-old cabin boy. On the 29th of March, as they sailed up the Northumbrian coast, a blanket of dense fog swept over their ship and they became engulfed. Unable to see or accurately navigate the ship as they had done before, the best they could do was base their direction and heading on past bearings. By 4am on the morning of the tragedy, Captain Fortin estimated that they were 20 miles off the northeast coast. As it turns out, they were 100 yards off.
all of a sudden, land loomed out of the fog and the fate of the ship was set within seconds. Nothing could be done. The rocks off Howick coastline were too close. And fearing the icy water and the waves big enough to break a man's back, the crew had no other choice but to climb onto the ship's rigging and lash themselves to it to prevent being thrown into the sea. I can only imagine what fear they must have felt, death seeming just so imminent and inevitable to them. They were, however, able to fire a flare and signal land, although the fog had lured them so close to the land that when they crashed, their screams could actually be heard from the stricken ship on the land, and a local man, Thomas Thompson, had actually raised the alarm for them. With the icy North Sea crashing around the men and swallowing their ship, they hung on for their lives, crying out to the crowd that had gathered on safe land. The waters are wild and treacherous, and as they had discovered, there was no way to launch a boat directly from the land before them and rescue them. The Coast Guard from Craster arrived on the scene some two hours after the boat had originally struck the rocks. They had a plan, which in the past had proved successful in rescuing survivors of stricken ships. From the safety of land, the Coast Guard would fire a rocket, which could be secured to the ship and attached. Attached to that was a rope, and like something out of an adventure movie, the ship's crew would use a pulley system to transport themselves one at a time from the stricken ship across the icy waves to the safety of dry land. They fired the rocket, and it reached the ship, but sadly, after two and a bit hours in the freezing North Sea, the crew were already suffering hypothermia. They tried, but were unable to secure the rocket and the rope to the ship. I can't even get my head around how quickly their hopes must have felt like they were dashed. At this time, 1913, Howick Hall had residents. Lord Armstrong, his wife, their daughter, and her husband. And if you're from the Northeast, yes, it's that Armstrong family. He and his wife had been alerted to the shipwreck, and the local papers would later tell that he ordered his driver to take the car down to the nearest RNLI lifeboat base in Boomer in hopes of rescuing the crew. The RNLI and Boomer were actually, in fact, um, alerted to the situation by the Coast Guard at Craster by telephone, which is a lot faster than sending a car. While they waited for the Boomer lifeboat crew, Lord Lady Armstrong rushed to the coast with blankets for the crew to be wrapped in as soon as they were saved, and they were met by the kind local people who had thought to do exactly the same thing. Time, however, was against the crew of the stricken ship. 
With time slipping away from them, one of the crew attempted to swim to shore. This was the 16-year-old cabin boy. Perhaps blinded by fear, he still had his thick, wide, heavy boots on, and when he jumped into the icy waters, sadly, he was quickly overpowered by the wild waves and he disappeared beneath them. Another fell from the rigging, which they'd clung to in the cold for so long, and he perished in the icy waters. At 7.45am, the lifeboat from Booma arrived. The ship was being devoured by the sea for nearly four hours at this point. The RNLI crew successfully rescued 22 of the remaining 28 crew members and landed them safely back at Booma. Now check that out on a map. It is no small feat of human strength and resilience to have done that to have fought the waves of the North Sea in a boat that was powered by oars. They later returned and safely landed six more of the crew at Howick. The stricken ship, the Tadon, which by the way in French means water flow, slowly disintegrated under the might of the crashing waves. Much of it was salvaged for its metal value over the days and weeks, but as I said at the start, some of the ship remains where it was held by the sea. Possibly as a reminder to those of us on land that the sea is a creature of its own. Beautiful and vast, but also wild, deadly, and at times unforgiving. you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast it was something different it was a really interesting story that when i sat and read it i wanted to share it with you i have to say that um there were quite a few websites um that i found that were really useful but the most useful by far was hiddennorthumberland.co.uk it has a really brilliant uh, write-up of the events which I cross-referenced with a couple of other sites that I found um, just to give a fuller story. But definitely check that out, hiddennorthumberland.co.uk. Once again, everybody, thank you very much for your time and listening to the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's taken you away to somewhere interesting for a little while. Stay safe and well, and I will speak again very soon.